Hey guys, check out Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp, a fully updated second edition, reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. To pick up a copy today, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Okay. Hello, everybody. My name is Stevie Kim. Welcome to the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. It's getting a little bit complicated to do this thing, uh, the recording on Clubhouse. I, I feel like it's a little bit more difficult now. It's not that friendly. I, and I hope your guest shows up, Angelo. So Leica is getting to, uh, to call him now. So this is what we call the Ambassador's Corner. We've been doing this for some time now, maybe 100th edition coming up soon. We'll do a big celebration. It's more like a fireside chat um, style, as you know. And today we have with us, it's a different slot, our Via Ambassador Angelo Secolo from Philadelphia. Ciao, Angelo. Ciao, Stevie. Thanks for having me. Okay. In theory, we will be... Oh, I see Lorenzo. Abemus Lorenzo. Ciao, Lorenzo. <laughs> Ciao, Stevie. All right. Hi, we... everybody. Yeah, okay. We thought we lost you. Okay. So let me just do... <laughs> no, a... no. I'm here. Okay. So this is the deal. Every Thursday, in theory, we're moving up the time because... Laika, our clubhouse manager, she's only here uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at the office, and then she works remotely on Mondays and Fridays. So to make it a little bit easier, we bumped up the time to half past five instead of half past six, so that I'm like I'm not the only person um, sitting at the office doing clubhouse. So, so we'll see how that works out for everybody. And um, it is what we call the Ambassador's Corner, which means that one of our Italian wine ambassadors, they choose their favorite Italian wine producers to interview. And then we replay this. There are just a few of us, handful of us here today with us. But the best bit is we replay the audio on Italian Wine Podcast. That's wherever you get your pods. And thank you all for, um, by the way, supporting us. Last year, we we hit 3 million um, listens just on the podcast on SoundCloud, not to mention all of the other channels we have. So we are very excited about that. And we are we're persistent and we are prolific. We go out with an episode every day and... Um, and one of the days, of course, is dedicated to the Ambassador's Corner, which is Italian Wine Club. So thank you for all um, supporting us and joining us. All right. So on with the show, on to the show today. Today's from the Mod Squad is Angelo Secolo. 
Ciao, Angelo. Ciao, ciao, Stevie. So, Angelo, where are you? Where are you now? I'm in uh, in Doylestown uh, in one of my jobs uh, okay. at the market. That's Pennsylvania still. Yeah, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And how how is I've never even heard of this town. I split. Yeah, we are. It's uh, just uh, 50 minutes uh, uh, north uh, from Philadelphia. Uh, it's my primary job, and then uh, I always uh, uh, go to Philly at uh, Chicala restaurant to consult with them. All right. So tell us a little bit about the Chicala restaurant. Is it famous? Uh, yes, I think it's quite famous. You know, Chef Joe um, has been in the Philadelphia area for um, uh, probably 20 years. Uh, opened a couple of restaurants in South Philly. And uh, uh, in 2019, he hired me as a wine director. And we opened uh, uh, his, uh, his very first one uh, restaurant owned by, uh, by himself and the wife. Uh, Southern Italian food. Uh, you know, we have a really nice Italian focus wine list uh, um, we we got the wine spectator award on a couple of occasions and um, and then you know after COVID everything changed a little bit um, and then I found this place uh, in Doylestown Altamonte as a wine buyer uh, but I'm still connected with Chef Joe so what kind of cuisine is it? I'm Chicala. I'm assuming it's that, Italian. Yes, it's a southern, southern Italian. Uh, Chef Joe is very fond of uh, Campania, Sicily, and uh-huh. Puglia. Uh, and there is a, there is the, some some dishes from the north, but mainly uh, southern cuisine. And are you consulting? Are you doing? Are you working at, at other restaurants? What are you doing otherwise? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm just uh, for them. Uh, I'm the consultant beverage director, and um, I'm the wine buyer for uh, Altamonte Italian Market. Uh, it's a retail store mm-hmm. uh, where I also curate um, another wine program with uh, 400 uh, labels, uh, also focus uh, on Italian uh, on Italian wines. Okay, so. Um, of course, Angelo Secolo, he's actually Italian, immigrated to stateside. When? When did you go to stateside? Why did you go moved, to stateside? Yeah, I moved I moved in 2009, you know. Uh, I went to New York. Coming uh, coming from Sicily it was mostly due to, to work, to have an opportunity to do something. Uh, I love Sicily. But unfortunately, uh, you know, working situation is, uh, can be can be iffy. So I just moved here, you know, working in restaurants. And then uh, in 2016, I did an intensive sommelier course with the court. Mm-hmm. So I became my wine career. And then, as you know, in 2021, I became a, a, an ambassador. And uh, it was uh, an outstanding uh, course that uh, you guys did, you know, improve my Italian knowledge, definitely, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It was it was it was um, challenging, let's say, but um, you came through strong. That was the New York edition, I believe, yep. in two thousand twenty-one. Twenty-one, right? Correct. Right. You're right. Right, and then Great you came memory. back. You judged. You came to Vinitaly, and we were so um, happy to have you here finally. So, Angelo, yeah. um, tell us why you chose Lorenzo Scavino um, to do the call today. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, it's great to be here and uh, have this opportunity to interview Lorenzo. Um, I 
I think, uh, you know, I want to say that for the way they're doing things, uh, I consider uh, Azalea, to, Azalea to be uh, a benchmark estate of Piemonte and the Lange area. So I have chosen Lorenzo uh, for today's podcast because uh, when I taste their wines and learn directly from him uh, about the tremendous patience and length that they have to wait for the vines to reach maturity and, and ultimately produce a wine with, a, with such a complexity and refinement it was mind-blowing you know and uh, it, it struck me the fact that you know we say in italy the patience is the virtue of the strongest you know la pazienza la virtù dei forti and so and as a matter of fact, I have a question later on about to find out uh, what's their secrets to this such a strong uh, passion. And, um, you know, and to me, it uh, shows me that Lorenzo and his father Luigi are making wine because they love uh, and respect the land, uh, this magical plant that it's the Vitis Vinifera and the region, regional traditions. You know, it's not just about making wine and, uh, and making money. Uh, so it's about, you know, I think perfection, artistry, and uh, literally contributing uh, to history of winemaking. So it's, it's an unbelievable story. Wow, Angelo, you, you sound really revved up and ready to go with this interview today. So what, uh, what are the learning objectives that we should expect from you today? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would like. Uh, I would love for the listener, uh, listener to learn, uh, you know, uh, the precision and uh, meticulous approach uh, of this winery for winemaking. Uh, uh, some technical aspect of their work, uh, uh, both in the vineyards and in the winery. Uh, again, you know, it might sounds repetitive, but the secret of their patience. I really want to learn from Lorenzo mm-hmm. in this podcast. Uh, a little bit of history, of course. You know, the beginning uh, of Lorenzo as the last generation. Uh, uh, to carry his family tradition. Also, uh, I want to also ask Lorenzo about the soils types uh, of their uh, crew, their approach, and uh, uh, about maybe some climate change. Uh, and, uh, and last but not least, uh, you know, the personal opinion for Lorenzo on the Nebbiolo grape and the market trends, maybe some food pairings and so forth. Wow, you might need two hours for that, all of that stuff, Angela. Okay, okay. (laughs) I don't know if Lorenzo has time. So, you know, um, of course, you're a psalm um, in your area, which is mostly Pennsylvania. um, And you must be in touch with a lot of the wines and wine producers, right? So so why did you choose, how did you discover... um, Lorenzo's wine. Yes, uh, you basically say it, you know, being a sommelier, I always have a wine reps coming to me and right. um, Azalea, Azalea, I tasted Azalea wine, uh, uh, I tasted that, their Barolo 2018 and I, I loved it, I immediately added it into one of my programs uh, and about three months ago, Lorenzo was in Philadelphia and, uh, and through our um, our friends, Hamilton, which is my rep, uh, we schedule an appointment. Uh, due to my schedule, uh, the only time that I was able uh, to see Lorenzo was at 9.30 a.m. So we we literally had breakfast with Nebbiolo, uh, much, much better than uh, scrambled eggs and bacon. So no, that sounds happy. good to me. A, that works it, with the breakfast of the it, champions. Yes. It was a great day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, sounds good. You have a lot to cover today, Angela. So I'm going to uh, leave it over to you now. I will mute myself and then perhaps come back if there are, there's any more time left. Okay? Okay, perfect. Okay. Thank you, Stevie. Ciao, Angela.
Ciao. Ok, hello everybody. So I just want to introduce uh, Lorenzo Scavino, uh, the last generation of farmers and winemakers of Azelia. Azelia Winery, sorry, I mispronounced it the first time. Uh, family run estate. So um, I learned from Lorenzo that uh, as early as 14 years old, uh, he decides to uh, attend the enological school in Alba. And uh, for six years, he studied enology, agronomy, and chemistry. And, uh, and grew his experience uh, also abroad, mainly in France and Spain. So in 2010, Lorenzo graduated with a summa cum laude with the title of an enologist. So since then, he has been working uh, in the front line with his family, participating uh, uh, in every aspect uh, and step of the process, from vineyard management to winemaking, sales, marketing, and uh, just not in Italy, but also uh, globally. Uh, but anyway, no, uh, with no further ado, uh, I would like to welcome uh, Lorenzo from uh, Azelia in this conversation. Ciao, Lorenzo. Come stai? How are you? Ciao, Angelo. How are everybody? I'm good. Well, thank you for choosing me, by the way. I, I feel, you know, no pressure. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready. No, no, I know you're all ready. All questions. <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll, I'm promise. I'm going to take it easy with you. Okay, right. <laughs> perfect. So, my, my first question uh, to you, so uh, Azalea, uh, more than 100 year history, the fifth generation, uh, you guys own 16 hectares of vineyards in Piemonte, in the Langa region, uh, located in the com commune of Castiglione Faletto. So to me, those all sounds winning cards. And uh, so you guys are located in the best place, uh, in one of the best place of the entire world for winemaking. Tell us uh, uh, why this place is special to you what makes it uni unique and uh, you know share your opinion with us yes i feel very lucky to to be here you know the lange are such a special region here in piemonte we are in the, the very heart of a world heritage site uh, we are actually the very first world heritage site uh, declared by unesco as a wine uh, region for wine production and also wine culture so we are extremely proud of that. And here in the Lange, of course, not just wine, we have a white truffle, we have a, the incredible landscape, the hills, which are extremely steep, the vegetation is gorgeous, especially in the spring and in the summer. We have um, amazing uh, uh, entrepreneurs who live here. So actually, everybody thinks about uh, Barolo, Barbaresco, and our typical wines of the region, but so much more. Think about Hezanas, for instance. We have, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody knows Nutella. Nutella is actually made in the Lange. The Ferrero factory is in Alba, which is like five minutes away from uh, from our winery. And, you know, it's one of the most well-known uh, uh, special desserts uh, all over the world. We have uh, so many other things in the, in the Lange region. We have, for instance, uh, Mondo Rubber which is one of the biggest um, uh, companies. They uh, have been uh, uh, building the Olympic trucks uh, for the past, I think, seven or eight Olympic Games. So um, it's a very unique region, which I suggest all the, the listeners uh, that they visit. Gastronomy, think about gastronomy. We have a, an incredible restaurant scene anywhere you go. We have a the highest number of Michelin star restaurants, one, two, and three Michelin star restaurants in the region. 
But then also we have all the typical uh, small trattorie, locande, osterie, all the very small restaurants where the quality is always really insane. And the wine lists. All the wine lists here in the region are like a, uh, a Bible. <laughs> they have hundreds of wines, older vintages, rare wines, which are hard to find anywhere else. So yep. we are very spoiled, I must say. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with you. I went to the Lange for the first time in Alba in 2020, and I fell in love with the area. You know, it's definitely some uh, a lot of culture, a lot of traditions, and wines are uh, outstanding. So, uh, Lorenzo, so Azalea wines. Uh, uh, are made a, a bridge into my heart. I love them uh, since the very first minute. And uh, the reason why I love them, uh, because uh, I felt when I taste the wine uh, that they, they truly have uh, this sense of a place, you know, the terroir to the highest expression. Can you tell us the different type of soils that you have to work uh, in your uh, um, acreage and uh, how they express eventually in the final wines, you know, where, where those differences and maybe some similarities? Yes, the soils that we have here in the Lange are actually one of the, the uniqueness that we have in the, in the region. Consider that the, the whole region was originally, millions of years ago, a seabed. We have um, the Oceano Padano, uh, which practically was covering the whole territory. And when the hills formed, they emerged in different periods. And we're talking about uh, 15 to 5 millions of years ago. Every village, we have 11 small villages in the Barolo area. Even inside the same village, we can have huge soil uh, variations. And that really depends on the soil composition. We can have a higher percentage of sand or clay or limestone, really depending on the position of each uh, vineyard. There is a general uh, classification of the soils here in the Lange, uh, which goes back as far as 1929 by Fernando Vignolo Luzzati. This, was, this is one of the most um, important cl soil class classifications in the region. And there are actually three soil formations uh, which originated in the Miocene. So we're really talking about 15 million years ago. Uh, the oldest, which is where we have our vineyards, in Castiglione Falletto, which is the heart of the region, and Serra Lunga d'Alba. It's called the Serra Valian, or elevation soil. Uh, so we're talking about the uh, southern um, area in Barolo, and also the eastern part, which is really Serra Lunga d'Alba. And here we have a lot of marls. Uh, so it's a very dry and compact soil. It's a kind of a whitish and yellowish soil, which gives a lot of uh, power to the wine. Typically, this wine is like we have our Barolo San Rocco, Barolo Margheria, uh, the Cerretta, but even the Reserva, they're all from uh, Serra Lunga d'Alba. Typically, this soil gives more uh, uh, ageability, more longevity to the wines, more minerality on the nose, and tannins, which are very expressive. Usually, you would really feel a lot of tannins and powerful uh, structure coming from those wines. In the uh, uh, the central part of uh, the region going uh, towards uh, west, we have a different soil. We're talking about Barolo, Village, La Morra, Verduno. That's the Tortonian soil, which is slightly uh, younger. And it's a uh, grayish and bluish marl. It's usually um, uh, 
kind of more aromatic, uh, a little bit less structured. It's kind of a middle way being really in the heart of, uh, of the area. And then in the northern part, northern, uh, also northwest, we have La Morra and Verduno, which are the youngest soils. And that's the Messinian soil, where we have the highest percentage of sand. We're talking about uh, five millions of years ago. So usually those wines are uh, the most aromatic, perfumed, very generous on the nose. And you would have sweeter tannins. They're usually more approachable right away from the beginning. We right. All our vineyards are in Castiglione and Serra Lunga, so we practically only work with the Serravalian soil, which is the one which gives the most uh, minerality and uh, longevity to the wines. But even inside our uh, vineyards, Castiglione and Serra Lunga, we, so we're talking about the same soil, uh, elevation, Serravalian, we have huge variations. So we have, for instance, Barolo Margheria, which is the most mineral, um, but it has a slightly lighter structure. San Rocco, which is always there, uh, it's about uh, 500 meters. It's even more powerful, structured. So it's amazing how soil can really affect the wine. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So great, great explanation of the soils types in uh, in the Barolo area. So, and also uh, my next question is another important aspect, uh, you know, of, of understanding uh, uh, the work of a producers is through the vineyard management and winemaking techniques. Can you can you please tell us, uh, you know, maybe some uh, specific unique uh, uh, practices that you apply in the vineyards and in the winery? We have. Practically, we have always been having the same style in the vineyards, in the cellar, through five generations, over 100 years of history. Uh, of course, with always uh, improvements, new techniques, uh, new methods, experiments, which we are always doing. But the general idea, the general concept has always been the same. Um, in the in the vineyards, we have always been organic since the very beginning. It's not a new thing for us. So just copper and sulfur, which my great great grandparents were already uh, spraying back in the twenties and thirties. Uh, natural um, grass, wild, uh, so cover crop. That's very important. First of all, to uh, prevent the erosion, because we work with very very steep hills. So when it rains a lot, the erosion is always a huge problem. And then grass is a, a good competition uh, between uh, the vines. So it's very helpful. And then uh, uh, we try to lower the yields a little bit in the summer. So through the, the green harvest, we, we may cut, depending on the vineyard, but up to 30% we may drop so um, that really that's really helpful to have a better uh, ripening of the grapes more balance more um, intensity in the wines in our oldest vineyards of course there's no need to do that and we're talking about most of our vineyards because uh, my father is crazy about it uh, the mine age is something which is really everything the average age of all our vines among all the vineyards is 75 years so there's not really a lot to drop. We drop a little yeah. bit more on Dolcetto and Langanebiolo, but in the other vineyards, there's no need. And all harvested by hand, of course, we do a hand selection in the vineyards. We eliminate any green or damaged berry. Um, then in the vineyard, in the winery, 
we have uh, uh, longer macerations for the brolos, uh, submerged cap, capello sommerso, just like it was in the past. So we prolong the maceration when the alcoholic fermentation is over for about 50 days. That's the average. It always depends on the vintage, but the average is 50 days. Uh, so it's a very um, soft and slow extraction. We practically never touch the skins. We never do punch downs. It's very important to have more like a sort of um, infusion rather than maceration okay. for us. That's like why this allows this. Sorry if I interrupt you, Lawrence. This allows a, a softer uh, extraction, right? Yes, and also uh, it really allows us to extract the sweetest tannins only, which are the ripest tannins, because you know Nebbiolo is loaded with tannins. So it's really, really important to be able to extract the sweet ones. If you extract tannins which are not fully ripe, you will never get rid of them. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big, uh, big point. Always talk about the, the, the seller. We uh, don't filter, we don't clarify. Um, we are actually very classic. We use big barrels for uh, the aging of all the Barolos. Um, you know, it's it's all about the expression of the grapes for us. Since we work with such unique uh, clusters coming from older vines, we really want to be able to taste that in the glass. And the location of the vineyard. We work with some of the most unique single vineyards in the region, so we don't really want to cover that. Okay, great, great. Um, we have uh, now a better picture of uh, your style uh, in uh, in the vineyards and uh, and winery. So, and uh, kind of you know, you uh, discuss a little bit my next question, uh, which is, uh, uh, you told me that uh, uh, your father is obsessed in uh, you know uh, waiting until the uh, vines reach the perfect the the right maturity, and uh, and uh, I learned from you as well that no vine is replanted until it dies. So this is uh, outstanding. So my yeah. ne- this question is uh, uh, to, for us to understand what's the secret of this strong patience, and mostly uh, did this create uh, at some point uh, in your winery, financial stress, you know, waiting for those vines to, to reach maturity and start eventually uh, producing wine uh, commercially? Very, very much. Well, we, I think we are naturally very patient and that's probably due, first of all, to our history, you know, over a hundred years of history through five generations, uh, considering that back then Piemonte was extremely different. It was a very poor region. So I think it really runs in the blood. Uh, being farmers, true farmers really have to be patient because uh, we have to follow the course of the nature. Uh, it's, you know, following uh, mother nature, you really... Mm, there's no escape. So you really have to think about that every minute, every hour, every day, month. Uh, you cannot really speed up the process. There's no other way. You just have to wait and follow the course of nature. Uh, yeah. and, that's, that's and that goes for true farmers. That's what we are. We are farmers before being winemakers. Of course, this is uh, extremely tough. It's... Uh, it's always a huge pressure, especially waiting for years and years and years before showing the results of your work. Um, think about our Barolo Cerretta, our latest edition, 
my father has waited for 30 years in order to show it to people. And really, wow. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. imagine doing something today and waiting for 30 years to show it to people. It's not so easy. And so financial stress is something which is always a, a big part of, uh, of our works. But I, I think we're just used to it. So, you know, it needs time. Yes, that's a, that's a really, really remarkable. Uh, and um, it's all great, great for doing this because thanks to you guys, uh, we are willing to, to taste those amazing wines. Um, my next question. Uh, so one of your best wines, uh, the Reserva Brico of Voghera, um, very, very celebrated wine made from uh, uh, nine, five years old vines, right? It's like a, you, yes. I, you're father pro- uh, your, your father wasn't even born when uh, uh, they planted those vines. Right. so right. w- what do you think when uh, in those perfect vintages you know to uh, be able to make a reserve uh, uh, you you are in the vineyards about to uh, harvest those grapes uh, and make this wine what is it what are your thoughts that cross your mind uh, reserva is always uh, so special for us because we don't make this wine every year but only in the best vintages. And my father selected that vineyard, that single vineyard, called uh, Brico Voghera on purpose, just for the Reserva, because it's actually one of the um, oldest uh, vineyards in the region, in Piemonte. So the average age of the vines is 95, as you said, but uh, the oldest vines, which are the ones at the top of that hill, are 120 years old. Some of them are prephyloxera, ungrafted, so they they are something really unbelievable. They produce two or three clusters each, half the standard size. So the concentration there is really really amazing. We have a, they have a thicker skins. It's kind of a scary during the the harvest when we uh, crush those grapes because there's almost no juice, just skins. So the decision whether to make this reserva or not is always uh, very hard because. Um, those clusters always look stunning, you know, in every vintage, pretty much uh, with uh, any weather condition, because those vines are so resistant. They have very deep roots. They go down for uh, at least five or six meters in the ground, like 15 feet. So they are very stable. We can have uh, very dry vintages, very warm, very cold. There is very little variation down there. So every time we, we taste the wine, we always have the will to make the reserva because it's always very tempting given the the incredible quality. But here comes my father because, uh, you know, he has the final say, of course, he's the boss. So um, he really likes to... Normally, we never decide uh, prior to the harvest or just after uh, whether to make the reserva or not. But my dad wants to wait for minimum uh, three years. Because he's really looking to taste the reserva during uh, the aging in the barrels in wood in order to be able to think about the evolution. Because maybe you like it at first, but who knows after one, two, three years. So after three years, he's really able to tell, uh, to have a better idea of the future uh, evolution of the wine. I see. It's it's always a, a working in process, I guess, right? Always, always. There's no rule. 
there is no rules yes and you say also you know going against mother nature there is no joking around with that either right it's very very hard especially uh if you don't have the experience you're just trying you know my my dad has a crazy experience last year was his 44th harvest Wow. So after 44 years, he has already seen everything. He's really able to adapt to any weather condition. For sure, for sure. Great, great. So um, moving along, uh, um, my next question is uh, a must-to-ask question. You know, everybody now around the world, especially sommeliers, every time that they get to talk to producers, uh, probably uh, on top of their list is climate, right? So we have uh, uh, this climate change that is affecting uh, more or less uh, many regions around the world. So what is the situation in the Barolo region? Uh, you know, how you guys are adjusting it to counterfeit the rising of the temperature and uh, I also heard some scarcity of water. Yes, I must say that we are um, very lucky compared to many other uh, wine regions in the world. Uh, we have um, been affected by the global warming here in the Lange, but global warming for us is not really about the heat. You know, people when think about global warming always think about very hot weather. Um, here, it's not really about that because the Lange region is very mm, protected. Uh, it's mm, more like a bubble, you know, on both sides from, uh, from the north, we have the Alps, the mountains. And uh, on the other side, we have, um, we have the sea, the Mar Mediterraneo, the Mediterranean Sea. So those are very helpful to protect our region. Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Global warming here is more about uh, extreme situations like water bombs or very heavy uh, hailstorms, uh, which in the past didn't occur as often. We have um, handwritten records by my great great grandfather going back to the 30s. This is a priceless source of uh, information. And by analyzing that, we have noticed that practically we, here in the Lange, we have always been having a cycle of uh, warmer years and colder uh, years. Even in the 30s, for instance, they had vintages which were extremely hot, like they were reaching over 100 degrees in the vineyards in the summer. So, You know, very warm, uh, very hot vintages are not something new here in the region. They were happening already a uh, hundred years ago. So it's really about extreme situations. If you think about France, our neighbors, uh, it's a more open uh, region. So mm, they have been affected in a much worse way. Yeah. Here, yeah. we're very, very lucky. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Perfect. So, um, and so also, I would like to yeah, go ahead. Sorry. You. Sorry to interrupt you, Angelo. I also would like to let listeners know that, you know, we had a, a crazy um, uh, dry uh, vintage last year. It was probably one of the driest vintages ever because we had practically just a couple of rainstorms for the whole year. And this year, so far, was very similar. But uh, just last week, we had quite a few days of uh, intense rainfall, which was like uh, something 
super monitored and it just turned out to be amazing. Now it's raining right now again. So no droughts anymore. We have enough water in the soil. We're very happy. We're not complaining okay. anymore about the droughts. Just okay. to let you know. Perfect. No, no. Uh, it's awesome that you're sharing this uh, uh, this news, and I agree with you. France is probably struggling a little bit more. And uh, as I've been talking to other Barolo producers, uh, they explained it to me that uh, it's actually you know having a warmer temperature. You guys are having a, a more uh, better vintages uh, and, uh, and more uh, reliable from let's say from the 60s, 70s, where it, there was one or two vintages in a day and now uh, definitely there is more uh, uh, more stability in getting those uh, uh, great vintages for Barolo. Very um, true. Very true. In the past, it was uh, it never happened to have like nine amazing vintages in uh, in a decade. Never ever. Yeah. Now it's happening like pretty much all the time. So let's take advantage of this and uh, keep drinking Barol, I guess, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, perfect. So, Lorenzo, thank you. And uh, uh, my next question is, so is uh, one of the most fascinating aspects uh, of wine uh, uh, that I love uh, the most is it's the history of wine. I always look for new discoveries, evidence, evidences and news that I can plug into my files. You know? So uh, I have, my next question is uh, the 19th 80s, the notorious Barolo War, you know, uh, the then uh, newer generation splitting from the traditional ways to make Barolo wines. So, and I know that you weren't born in the 1980s. So, uh, which sides your father Luigi lined up, uh, and what was his reason to do that? Yes, that was a that was a very particular time here in Piemonte. Um, my my father was one of the uh, producers who experimented a lot in the early 80s. Uh, that's what we're talking about when practically smaller barrels, the barriques, were uh, introduced here in Piemonte, coming from France. Uh, shorter macerations, uh, roto fermenters, so a lot mm, new uh, techniques uh, and different methods which at that time were something very new. Nobody was uh, was doing that here in uh, Piemonte. So my father was actually one of um, the, the producers who started um, uh, introducing these new uh, techniques. He experimented a lot with smaller barrels, aging his b- different barolos in the part of the different barolos in the, in the small barriques. Also, he was um, trying to have shorter macerations on his Barolos. He also experimented with different tanks for the fermentation, uh, not submerged cup anymore on the, some, of the, um, some of the vineyards. He was, um, he was uh, really, you know, considered that he was in his like uh, 30s, so uh, very important for him to experiment but then after a few years, uh, he started realizing that by uh, comparing the results of uh, the different Barolos, he just found that the part uh, aged, vinified in the old uh, ways was uh, evolving in a much better way for him, according to his taste. So little by little, he decided to go back to... Uh, the original way to make um, uh, his wines. He never abandoned the old ways. 
just a very small part of the production was uh, devoted to all the experiments. But the main production was always on the classic way, you know, to make it. Thank, so little by God. little, yeah. Thank, yeah, thank God he got back in his senses. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, and you know, experimenting is always a big uh, part because it, it can really, that's the only way to understand the right path. Because if you don't try, how can you know? True that. And, and also you have to think that experimenting with Barolo is, first of all, extremely expensive because Nebbiolo is one of the most expensive grapes um, uh, in the world. And also you need time because if you experiment with Barolo, at the m- minimum, you have to wait for four years by law before releasing the wine, minimum. And while so you're now, waiting, while you're waiting to release the new vintages, what are you doing with the vintages in the middle? Are you continuing with your experimenting or not? So it's always very challenging. Yeah. Yes, Lorenzo. So now, basically, you're telling me that uh, you only use uh, large cask and um, yes. no barrels, or you still okay? Exactly. We use uh, we use our large casks for all the brawlers, like our great great grandparents were doing. In the 20s and 30s, we we have these longer macerations, like uh, at the very beginning. We use the barriques, the small barrels, um, a little bit on the, the Barbera d'Alba, which we really like. We like to have some more uh, spiciness on the, on Barbera. But uh, practically, there's no new oak, just used barrels. We really want to, since we have these older uh, vines with smaller grapes, we want to be able to taste them. That's great. That's great. I I love I love this when when we let the vineyards speak through the glass, right? Yes, that's that's the beauty of it. Perfect. Thank you, Lorenzo. So, and then uh, uh, now moving forward. So, um, can you uh, so can you tell me? So, pick a specific wine from a specific vintage uh, that made you as proud as ever in what you do, and explain wine and explain sorry and explain why. Uh, what makes it unique to you? And uh, if you could pair that wine with a typical uh, Piemontese dish. Well, you're you're fast, Angelo. You really have so many questions. So I like that. <laughs> so let, I would definitely pick our uh, new entry, which is Barolo Cerretta. Okay. Uh, I am uh, always so proud to to pour this wine because uh, uh, this took thirty years in the making. I just mentioned Cerretta earlier. Uh, this is the wine which. Uh, my father dedicated to the 100th anniversary of our winery. So the very first release was 2016 in honor of the centenary. Uh, this is a, such a special uh, single vineyard for us because my father was able to, to buy this vineyard practically 30 years ago. So it's a, it's a new wine, but not a new vineyard for us. When, uh, when my father bought the vineyard in, uh, in the early 90s, decided to replant uh, all the, the vines, to replant the entire site completely. And we're talking about 2.5 hectares. So it's a pretty big vineyard for our size. We have 16 hectares in total. So a crazy investment, not just the cost of the land, but the whole new vineyard. He decided to rape up the soil, to add a new drainage system, new poles, new wires, everything from scratch. 
He also selected the new uh, vines for Cerretta through massive selection from the best vines in our Brico Fiasco vineyard, our historical vineyard here in Castiglione Falletto. So it was really a crazy amount of work. And he planted all those vines with my grandfather, one by one by hand. We're talking about more than 12,000 vines. He still remembers wow. it very well. Yeah. Yeah. But then so the vines were, were too young for him to make a single vineyard Barolo. So that's why he waited. He decided to declass the Cerret grapes in the Langen Biolo for the first 10 years. After that, another 20 years in our Barolo Classico, which is a blend of different vineyards. And finally, the vines were old enough for him, 30 years, to make a single vineyard wine. So I have no idea how he was able to wait for so long. Cerretta is like another child for him. And I think my, my dad cares more about Cerretta. So, <laughs> I, I did than uh, you. Right. Of course, of course. <laughs> so I uh, so tonight I have a bottle of Cerretta. Who should I, what sh what should I cook tonight? So you know, Angelo, I I'm not really into uh, fixed pairings. Um, I always like to uh, break the rules. Okay. Uh, talk about food pairings, as my my grandfather was saying, Barolo goes well with anything. So it's actually a wine which is super easy to pair. And I like to say that if you like a wine, you can pair it with whatever you prefer. Perfect. There is no so rule. I'm a sommelier that does wine pairing. So when I have a doubts on what to pair with a specific dish, I will take your suggestion and uh, pick a Barolo. Right. Um, I, I love that. <laughs> perfect. Now, I, I have a follow-up. Just say, so uh, the, your father planted those vines uh, 30 years ago, one by one. Are you doing the same thing and maybe uh, in 30 years from now uh, produce a wine that uh, it will be yours? Who knows? I cannot tell you. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's a secret. Okay. <laughs> no, we always have, you know, I always have a lot of projects, but... Um, Now we are very focused on Cerretta, which is really the, okay. the latest one. And then we'll see. We have uh, many other hectares, so we'll see what's going to happen. You have to stay tuned. Okay, perfect. So, oh, okay, hopefully, I mean, I'm, I'm all much older than you, so hopefully I'll still be around in 30 years from now. Of course, you're drinking, <laughs> if you're drinking enough, bro, although no worries. <laughs> okay, perfect. Sounds good. That makes me, you know, start eating more healthy. So <laughs> uh, my next question is, so, uh, you know, it, the experimentation and so forth. So are you guys plan, uh, planning uh, to, you know, maybe, produce uh, uh, some white wine or maybe produce some sparkling wine. I heard that many producers in Barolo are experimenting with uh, the tips uh, of uh, uh, the Barolo cluster, the Nebbiolo cluster to make some sparkling and um, or maybe even, uh, you know, expanding your holdings in some other regions, in some other uh, winemaking area uh, in Italy. So it's enough for now. We have a, you know, we are a small family-run winery. I am an only child, so it's enough work, you know, taking care of everything, vineyards, winery, sales. We're always running here and there like crazy, so it's pretty much enough. We, we actually have many hectares of land close to our vineyards. 
where we could plant um, other varieties, white varieties. But um, we like to use those uh, hectares to um, grow other crops. We always have a rotation of other crops every year. We grow wheat, corn, sunflowers. Uh, we also have many, uh, many hectares of land with big trees, like uh, wild big trees, trees for white truffles. And that's really important for us for biodiversity because um, here in the region, all the other big trees or other crops are disappearing. You know, it's mines everywhere. And this is because the land is so expensive and so limited, but we are really struggling to, to keep these other crops for the health of insects, bees, and really biodiversity in general. That's really, really important for us to preserve that. Of course, it's not easy because uh, those crops are nothing compared to the value of a uh, uh, Lembiolo, but also Barbera or Dolcetto. You don't really uh, earn by growing that, but uh, for the environment, it's really essential. I see. Okay, great, great answer. And if you change your mind uh, uh, and want to go to Sicily, just give me a call and I'll uh, I'll make some calls my, on my on my part. Okay, <laughs> that will be something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. So let's go on a little bit more. Uh, you know, financial aspect. Uh, you know, uh, I want to ask you uh, which ones are your top market in Europe and uh, internationally, and uh, if you have seen uh, any changes in patterns. In in the last 10 years or so and uh, and eventually what you're doing to break into new uh, markets we we sell our wines worldwide europe uh, in general as a whole is a, a very important market uh, the us is definitely one of the biggest and we're talking about the, the whole territory so we don't really have a particular uh, states which are uh, stronger nowadays it's pretty much even um, in general, I would say that the interest uh, on Barolo um, wines, high quality wines in general, has always been increasing. So people are really interested in uh, wines which are um, limited, uh, restricted to a specific region, uh, tied to the territory. In the last, I would say, 10 or 15 years, the interest has really been increasing a lot and all over the world. Our historical markets like Europe, US, but also Asia, uh, newer markets, we are so small. I would say 85% of our total production is exported and we try to spread our wines really all over. I believe it's important to, to always cover uh, new states but of course, the quantities are very limited because we just have such amount of wine which is available. So we're talking about tiny uh, uh, quantities for newer markets. Yeah, true. Yeah, also, also true. And what what about your uh, your Asian market? You know, are you seeing an increase in 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 export in a country like uh, you know China or uh, Japan uh, or others? Yeah, those, yeah, those are actually those are not new markets for us because we started there more than thirty years ago, thirty five years ago. Uh, like the most established markets there, like Japan, uh, Malaysia, Hong Kong, uh, 
uh, those are very historical markets for us. So I believe that there is a, there's a big potential there. Um, and people are really paying a lot more attention to Italian wines in general. Yes, yes, I, I, I agree. Italian wines are definitely entering a, uh, the scene uh, in, a, in such a such a great way in the yeah. in the last 10, 15 years. So great. Um, so I know we are reaching uh, uh, towards the end of the, uh, this interview, but uh, before we we end it up, I wanna I wanna express my. Uh, tremendous admiration for uh, all the people that they work the land and they produce wine and that's they allow they allow me to do uh, my job which uh, which I love it so Lorenzo can you can you tell us uh, what is one of the hardest things uh, about winemaking year in and year out uh, and what is the most rewarding things about your job huh, that's a tough question because we have so many things which are uh, not easy to accomplish especially when you're really in charge of everything because we are not really focused on one particular field, you know. We really take care of everything. So I think probably the most challenging um, thing is taking care of everything, running from the vineyards to the cellar to uh, wine events all over the world. So being able to always be there wherever and whenever needed our time is never enough. Uh, so that's really the hardest part. If we're talking about uh, physical work, the work in the vineyards is the hardest. Yeah. Because uh, we're talking about very steep hills. It gets very hot in the summer, very cold in the winter. Um, especially working with older vines, they need more care, more attention, and experience. So from that point of view, the work in the vineyards is really the most uh, uh, difficult part. I, I bet. I did once uh, an, uh, an harvest when I was 16 years old, and I decided that it wasn't for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, one was enough so, uh, yes one was enough you know just to put it on my resume and uh, what how many how many employees uh, on a full-time basis you guys have and maybe you know during harvest probably you bring in some other uh, part-time yes we have um, we have our full-time um, uh, employees which are who are like uh, five or six people and plus okay. we have um, another 25 or 30 people for all the works in the vineyards. Uh, and every year is the same people because it's uh, we train them. So they work in a, in a specific way. And plus the family, of course, we're always there. Yeah, right. So perfect. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, five minutes. Go yeah. ahead. Sorry. No, no. I just wanted to, to talk about the most rewarding parts. Oh, you're right. You're right. Sorry. Which, I cut you down. Which is actually the fact that our uh, wines are so well appreciated and recognized all over the world. That's really uh, the most satisfying part because after so much hard work in the vineyards, in the cellar, when you have people uh, enjoying your wines, uh, really internationally, when you think about the fact that when my grandfather was running the winery, and we're talking about like 60 years ago and not... 300 years ago, when he was able to sell his wines to Turin or to Milan, it was like exporting wine. So he wouldn't believe that. So that's extremely rewarding. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a testament uh, to uh, your great work, uh, and um, I agree with you. So having people uh, all over the world, you know, supporting and buying those wines and uh, and loving them, that's uh, that's uh, that must be a very <clears throat> rewarding thing. Uh, very much. Uh, perfect. So. <clears throat> I do have a last question uh, on my part. So, uh, I'm an Abiolo guy. You know, I love uh, a Abiolo grape. I think it's one of the greatest uh, in the whole world. And the reason why I became a psalm. Uh, but there is always uh, this uh, debate uh, who is better, Pinot Noir Burgundy versus Nebbiolo Barolo. Can you, can you tell us, uh, we know, but... No, what do you what do you think on this uh, notorious debate? You know, so there's some similarity that you think uh, those two regions and grapes share, and if there is some uh, uh, differences. Yes, we're talking about some of the most unique uh, varieties and regions in the world. So, something so special. We have uh, many things in common. Um, Piedmont and Burgundy. We are really close to each other. Uh, uh, also, the proximity to the Alps provides relevant similarities. The weather is pretty similar. Piedmont, Piedmont can be slightly, um, uh, in, especially in the summer, talking about the summers, slightly warmer. Uh, so that gives a bit more uh, concentration and intensity in the, in the wines. But then think about uh, all the different uh, single vineyards that we have in both regions. The fact that we're very focused on producing single vineyard wines from uh, smaller uh, family-run wineries, this is a thing which we have in common, which explains many things. Uh, also, I would say Piemonte in general focus on, uh, on Nebbiolo, uh, has wines which are slightly more structured. I, w- I was mentioning about the weather, so more concentration, more tannins, which are usually uh, more present in the mouth, while Pinot Noir from Burgundy tends to be slightly lighter. lighter. But that really depends always on the on the vineyard. So we have uh, uh, differences depending on the location of the vineyard. Uh, Piemonte has uh, lower production of wine, I think it's around 2,500 hectoliters per year. Uh, while in Burgundy, we're talking about 1.5 million hectoliters due to the like, biggest yeah. chateaus. Yeah. But other than that, it's, uh, we have many things in common. One thing which is um, dissimilar, uh, it's the fact that uh, Nebbiolo is very rooted to Piemonte. While Pinot Noir uh, flourishes uh, in other regions like United States, New Zealand, Nebbiolo yes, can be found all over, but uh, it's not recognizable. Yes, I agree. I agree. That's a great point. But, you know, mm, you never go wrong with Nebbiolo uh, from uh, from uh, the Lange and Pinot Noir from Burgundy. So. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lorenzo. It's been uh, it's been a great pleasure to have this conversation with you, and I hope uh, our listeners uh, enjoy the conversation, enjoy my questions and your answers. And um, thank you to Stevie, to Italian podcast, uh, you know, Leica and uh, Clubhouse and everything else uh, to uh, make these things uh, uh, happen. Okay. So. Yes, 
Thank you, okay. everybody. Did, did you like my special effect? Listen, Lorenzo, um, great discussion. And also, Angelo, you were perfect. You, you were so thorough. I don't even, I usually have tons of questions, but you were so thorough. I think, uh, and we've run out of time, so I think I'm going to close here. But just one last thing, Lorenzo. Can you just tell us um, how many labels you have? How many barolos do you have? So we make uh, four different single vineyard barolos. Right, the Cruz. Barolo Classico, Barolo Riserva, and then our everyday wines. So Dolcetto d'Alba, Lange Nebbiolo, and Barbera d'Alba. Okay. And how many bottles are you producing in total? It's 80,000 bottles in total. 80,000 bottles. Yeah, with about uh, 40 um, acres in total. Okay, very good. All right. Lorenzo, we'll just have to, my mouth is watering. I think I have to come and see you with a bunch of our people. (laughs) So so get get ready. (laughs) So next time we're in town, we will be definitely coming to see you. Thank you so much. You have to. Grazie. Thank you. Angela, Angela, such a great job. Thank you very much. Laika, do you want to come on and tell us who's up next? Hi, Stevie. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it was a great conversation. There was actually um, a comment from John Camacho. Oh, yes. So, yeah, you mentioned that your father makes the final decisions. Is there ever any conflict? Has there ever been anything that you have wanted to do that your father says no? Ah, ciao, John. Thanks for your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, consider that we're working and living together. So it's a big family affair. We're always, my father and I are always uh, yelling at each other and my mother is in the middle. So (laughs) you can only imagine. But I must say that from a wine point of view, my father and I have exactly the same uh, style and taste. So like we like uh, the same wines, we like the same food. So I think that's very important in the cellar. So we're pretty much on the same uh, path in that sense. And my father is also very modern, I must say. He's always, uh, sometimes even more than myself. So he's always trying new things, experimenting, always willing to do different things. So I cannot really complain in that sense. Okay. All right, Laika, tell us who's up next and when. Okay, next one is um, next week um, on Thursday, June 1, um, it's, it's at 5 p.m. So Michele Longari will be interviewing Julia Pedrini of Cantina Pravis. Okay, excellent. So see you next time. Ciao, ragazzi. Bye, bye. Ciao. Ciao. Once again, here we go. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.